If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at verses 12 through 26 this morning. It's Easter. Easter has come at the perfect time this year. It's come just in the nick of time. One looks around at the world today and sees death, death everywhere. Um, I know someone who's from another country who married an American and moved here, leaving his family behind. And his mother back home contracted the coronavirus in her nursing home last Sunday. The nursing home is under complete lockdown, so no family was allowed to visit her, and she died on Wednesday. It's a story after terrible story that reminds us what kind of world we're living in. It's a world infected, not just by one plague after another, but infected by death itself. But today, as we do every Sunday, but especially on Easter Sunday, we remember the great story that sheds new light on all other stories. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we find real hope. We take real courage. We know we're not alone. We enjoy real freedom. And we have real rest for our souls. As we proclaim the resurrection, we proclaim something wonderful and relevant to every single person. Something that everyone needs to hear in this world. This world that's straining under the tyranny of death. Everyone needs to hear the resurrection of Jesus, people who are alone, people who are sick and dying, people who are grieving, people who are oppressed and suffer hardships, people who are afraid. Everyone needs to hear about the resurrection of the Lord, so let's proclaim it. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. High King of Heaven, your victory is won. Give us just a little sip, a little taste of it now. Help us to see just a sliver of your resurrection glory, and it'll be too much for us. Work in us by your Spirit, so that we may receive the gift of your life, we ask in your name. Amen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
the current state of things in the world is uh, is a pessimist's paradise, if that isn't a contradiction in terms. It's hard for an optimist not to sound like a fool, even if many of us would prefer to be cheerful in the face of such circumstances. You've probably heard people opt for a, a third way. I'm not an optimist or a pessimist. I'm a realist. And I think they're saying they prefer not to interpret life in a biased manner, but just take the facts as they come and let reality stand for itself. But usually they just end up sounding a lot like happy pessimists. That's probably another contradiction in terms there, I don't know. Uh, Leslie Newbigin, though, was looking for a third way, a different way uh, than either optimism or pessimism. He was a British theologian and a missionary to India who said something strange and different. He said this, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So I take him to mean three things. First, Jesus died. The cross is real. Death is very real. It's a terrible reality. It's the worst reality. We should be biased against death because death is against us. Death is the kind of thing optimists have a hard time acknowledging. <clears throat> Second, Jesus is risen. The empty tomb is real. Resurrection is very real. It trumps even the worst reality, death. We should be biased in favor of resurrection because we are made for life. Resurrection is the kind of thing pessimists have a hard time acknowledging. Third, the whole reality of the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead absolutely smashes our little perspectives like optimism or pessimism, our little choices to be either cheery or dreary about everything. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is real. These are the facts as they come. This is reality standing for itself. And it's also our new interpretive framework for all reality. It's the, the great true story that sheds new light on all other stories. The resurrection blows the doors off all other ways of understanding what is real. We're talking about the event that stands at the very heart of the Christian profession of faith. That's how the Apostle Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 15. He began the chapter by telling his readers to hold fast to the gospel of which these are the things of first importance, as he describes them in verses 3 through 11. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to many witnesses who proclaimed Christ to others. And Paul spends the rest of the chapter, verses 12 through 58, it's a huge passage, spends the rest of the chapter talking about the resurrection because everything else hinges on it. The resurrection is central and foundational to the Christian reality. He says in verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. <clears throat> so it's so important to understand that Paul is not advocating for a groundless faith. He is not saying, like so many say today, we've just got to believe something. It'll be good for your mindset. He does not promote a fool's optimism. He says very logically, either Jesus really has been raised from the dead, or he really hasn't. 
Christianity has to do with reality. It has to do with historical reality. So Paul says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then this this Christian stuff is meaningless. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then his death was just another tragedy. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then his bones rotting in a tomb are proof that everything is meaningless. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then the preachers that he sent out are charlatans, liars, and blasphemers. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we believers are the biggest, most pitiable idiots wasting our lives. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then the dead are dead, and they'll stay dead forever, period. End of story. If Christ has not been raised, death reigns and pessimists are justified. But here's just about the most beautiful verse in all of the Holy Scriptures. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. His death was transformed to become our salvation. That evil Friday became Good Friday because of the resurrection. His enemies couldn't produce his bones as evidence against the church's hope because he was using his bones again. The preachers that he had sent out had seen him alive from the dead. More than 500 people, eyewitnesses. We're not wasting our lives in silly hope. We're not wasting our lives in vain faith. We have real hope and our faith is grounded in the ultimate reality. Even the dead won't stay that way. There will be no end to the story of our life together with God. We know it because we know Jesus risen from the dead. You remember that when you're in despair, when you're afraid, when you're hopeless, when the depression grabs hold of you, when you lose your loved ones, when you're all alone in the dark, when all you can see is death, Death everywhere? In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, I know this kind of thing doesn't just happen. It doesn't normally happen. A man so severely tortured and killed, lying in a cold grave, being raised from the dead on the third day. That's not how death works. No, that's right. It's not. It's how God works. God opposed the natural workings of death. He overrode death when he raised his beloved son bodily to everlasting life. Death was the enemy that was defeated when Jesus walked out of the tomb, victorious in the power of the Holy Spirit. Death was a reality. Jesus was really crucified, dead, and buried. And death still is a reality The world is not the optimist's utopia, but Jesus conquered death. It isn't even that life found a way somehow to conquer death. That's not how it works, and that's not what happened. Nothing can reanimate even a single dead cell. Nothing except the origin and source of all life, no one but the Lord of life himself. It isn't that life found a way to conquer death. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is, as he says in John 11, the resurrection 
and the life. This is what he said to his friend who had just lost her brother. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus shares his resurrection life with us. Thank the Lord. He doesn't say, whoever figures it all out will share my resurrection. Or whoever tries hard to do good will share my resurrection. Or whoever disappoints me the least will share my resurrection. No, he says, whoever believes in me. That's all. Whoever believes in Jesus will share in his resurrection life. Do you believe this? This is why you should believe it. Because it says in verse 20 of our passage, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul calls Jesus the firstfruits twice in this passage. So what does that mean? It's an image taken from agriculture. The farmer works hard. The farmer works for a long time before seeing any results. She puts little dead-looking seeds in the ground. She waters and she waits. Or she trims branches and prunes the vineyard and waits. And she hopes, but she never really knows if there will be a harvest. Because maybe there will be too little rain. Or maybe there will be too much rain. Or pests. Or a disease. Or fires to come and kill the crops. But when she sees the first fruits, then she knows. The first fruits are the earliest of the crop. It's the first to be harvested after the long wait. It's the guarantee that you will see what you've been hoping for. Once you hold that first delicious grape in your hand and you look down rows and rows of vines that still might not look like much, you know all the other clusters of still ripening grapes are soon to follow. In the same way, once the very human Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you know all of us humans who are in him by faith are right behind His resurrection means our resurrection. It's a foretaste of what is coming, and it's a guarantee of what is coming. The resurrection life is already true for him, and since we are united to him by faith and through his spirit, it is just as true for us. It just hasn't happened to us yet, but it will. It must, or else Jesus ceases to be who he is. When God the Son took on our flesh, and when he pledged himself to us in his baptism, he made us an integral part of his own identity. He shares our fate, and we share his. We are the ones who invited death into the world by our sin, and Jesus would not be himself if he didn't take our sin and death upon himself, which he did at the cross. And Jesus would not be himself if he did not bring us to resurrection glory with himself. Now, lest you get carried away with the sheer optimism of it all, I might remind you that it is whatever happens to Jesus happens to us. 
ordinarily, that means death before resurrection. Death is the enemy to be expected. Death is the enemy to be hated and lamented. But it is the enemy that Jesus has already defeated in his own resurrection, and he will defeat our death in our resurrection. The other day, our kids were having fun asking each other, playing the, the three wishes game. If you had three wishes, what would they be? And kids come up with stuff like, I'd wish I could fly, or I'd wish for infinite wishes, or one of them said, I'd wish for a pet dragon. <laughs> um, one of them wished for eternal life. And we reminded them, Jesus has already granted that wish. It isn't just wishful thinking. Nothing could be more real. As we read in our offering reading earlier, God has commanded in Exodus 23, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The Hebrew word for ground there is Adama. It's the earth, the soil from which Adam, man, was formed by God. So it's the same relationship as between the words humus and humanity. Jesus is the best of the first fruits of humanity, raised from the earth, taken up into heaven, brought into the house of the Lord on our behalf. When he comes again, he will raise our bodies to life like his. He will take us to be with him where he is. He will present us all to the Father, forever free from death, because Jesus will have destroyed death once and for all. Maybe all this is a bit hard to believe or too much to take in. Or maybe you love this and you need help remembering it more often. That's all right. Whatever the case, if the risen Lord Jesus can help anyone, he can help you. You can rest and rejoice in the knowledge that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We're here to remind each other and tell all the world of this good news. Because he lives we also will live with him forever. Amen.